Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Danielle again and we are catching up over all things progesterone. We're going to cover the role of progesterone in fertility and overall health, signs and symptoms of low progesterone, how to know if you ovulate and when to get progesterone tested accurately, uh, as well as how you can start correcting it if you do find that it is low. So whether you are preconception, trying to conceive, or just simply wanting to learn more about how you can optimize your overall health and hormones, because progesterone is absolutely important way beyond fertility, um, this is an episode that you won't want to miss. So let's dive in. Good morning, Danielle. Welcome back to the show again. Good morning, Celine. Thank you so much for having me on. Such a pleasure. Today we're talking about progesterone um, Mm -hmm. in a whole bunch of different ways, you know, what it does, benefits, um, signs and symptoms of low progesterone. We basically never see high progesterone. It's always low. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, how to correct it as well. So such a jam-packed episode today. Yeah, progesterone is one of my favourite hormones, I think, Selene. Well, probably everyone's favourite hormone when we've got enough because it feels so good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and definitely problems arise when we don't. Um, So to start out, I'd love if you could tell us a bit about what, I guess, what progesterone is and what it does in terms of the menstrual cycle. Yeah, awesome, Selene. So essentially progesterone is, um, so it's what we call a steroid hormone. Um, and it's made in the ovaries and it probably a lot of the time people will hear about the relationship uh, between progesterone and estrogen. So as women, two very key hormones um, that govern our reproductive health, our menstrual cycle, fertility um, is progesterone and estrogen. So there's a beautiful saying that I always hear is that essentially progesterone is like the yin to the yang of estrogen. So we're always in this beautiful balancing act. Um, and progesterone is probably that that hormone that when we have it in really good, healthy amounts, we actually just feel really balanced and calm. And I'll go into the reasons why. Um, so the thing about progesterone around our menstrual cycle, though, is that we typically see the majority of it produced in what we call the second half of our menstrual cycle, so the luteal phase. And we produce progesterone on the back of ovulation. So the first thing I think as as practitioners is that if we start to consider that there may be a progesterone deficiency in our clients, the question that we're probably asking straight away is, okay, well, is ovulation actually occurring? So without ovulation, we aren't producing adequate progesterone. So Progesterone is so key in that half of the cycle, especially when it comes to fertility for women. Um, So it's really important to 
if fertilization occurs. So if we are ovulating, we fertilize the egg, it is our goal to fall pregnant. Well, even if it's not our goal to fall pregnant, but if we're not on any sort of contraception or anything like that, and we've got healthy menstrual cycles, progesterone is there to actually support and nourish that pregnancy as well. And it's going to assist with implantation. Now, if fertilization doesn't occur or pregnancy isn't the goal, progesterone still has so many other benefits within within the body, within that phase of the menstrual cycle. So we are meant to see a beautiful rise of progesterone in that luteal phase, and then it will start to naturally taper off just before we get our period. So that is the overall, I think, uh, goal of progesterone. Yeah, definitely. And I do have a question because yeah. I think this is one that comes up a lot in clinic if we ask our clients if they do ovulate. It's mm. often not always, but often like a bit of a blank stare or I'm not Mm -hmm. really sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Or I might say something like, you know, do you know if you're ovulating? Are you aware of those sort of signs and symptoms? And sometimes, well, a lot of the time women say no, um, which is fine. We're just not taught it. But I'd love, um, yeah, like how do we know if we are ovulating? What are we looking out for there? And it is something, Selene, I couldn't agree with you more that we're really not taught it when we, you know, in terms of our menstrual cycles and having that understanding and being empowered by that. I mean, until I started to really understand and dig deeper into this, I didn't know, you know, how to track ovulation in that way. So um, it's very fair. So I think where we can look at progesterone, potential progesterone deficiency in ovulation is one of the first things is temperature tracking. Mm-hmm. So progesterone actually increases our body temperature slightly. So temperature tracking throughout our menstrual cycle is a beautiful way to potentially see if we are ovulating or not, because we should get that natural body temperature rise around ovulation and following that due to progesterone um, being produced in healthy amounts. So body temperature tracking is a big one. The other one is when we start to look into something like um, fertile mucus, so cervical Mm. mucus. So once again, around that sort of midpoint of the cycle around ovulation, women do report to me that they do notice that. Or some women sort of say to me, look, Danielle, I've noticed this increase in, in discharge. But oftentimes we have to distinguish between, well, what, what is it? Mm. Is it actually that, that um, fertile mucus or is it something else? So um, that's another sort of key factor. And interestingly too, this may not be always the case, but if there is a progesterone deficiency in that luteal phase, we can actually see fertile mucus in the luteal phase. So this is where it can get a little bit difficult to track because sometimes women could be getting that fertile mucus later um, and that isn't a sign. Essentially, progesterone will dry up that fertile mucus, but mm-hmm. if that's happening, it's showing us that progesterone isn't there. So fertile mucus is another one. Another one that I like to look for is really the... Um, the length of the luteal phase. Mm -hmm. So if a woman has a shorter luteal phase, so essentially 11 days or less, that could also be telling us there's a progesterone deficiency Mm -hmm. and ovulation may not be occurring. Um, And also any sort of spotting in the luteal phase. So if women aren't ovulating and they're not producing enough progesterone, progesterone is there to hold that it sounds simple, but to hold that period in, if progesterone isn't there, that spotting starts to occur in that luteal phase. And that could either lead to then a period, or we see this like sort of ongoing spotting and then extended um, until they get an actual menstrual period. So yes, spotting is a big one. Yeah, it's a big one, isn't it? I think that's one of the first ones we're maybe taught with with progesterone, aren't we still in in terms of what to look for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I explained it that it's 
which is, you know, a bit simplistic, but like it's there to kind of hold that uterine lining in place. And when it naturally starts dropping off, that's when we get a period. That's when it's that lining is starting to shed. And so if there's insufficient amounts of progesterone, we're kind of seeing bits of that lining shed early. And that's, um, that's what spotting is. And um, that's important to know from, you know, just a hormonal regulation point of view, um, I, I would sort of hazard a guess and, and say that a lot of those women who are getting that are probably quite symptomatic as well. But from a fertility mm. and and um, and pregnancy point of view as well, that's really, really important um, to know because we want you to be able to produce an adequate amounts of progesterone to hold a healthy pregnancy. Um, and after about 12 weeks, that's when... Um, you know, the placenta and the baby sort of start taking over that progesterone production. So it's really important um, for you, for, for a successful pregnancy to to be able to be producing enough of that on your own. So if fertility and conception are part of your goals, then spotting is definitely a really key symptom to address for sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's a variety of different ways that we can assess sort of progesterone adequacy um, in terms of, yeah, doing that testing. What what are we doing there? Yeah, so once again, Salem, with testing, it depends. You know what we're using in terms of um, standard blood testing, or in other ways, we can do. You know, as we have discussed on the podcast before, more functional testing, so urine testing for progesterone. Mm-hmm. But ideally, to get the best insight into progesterone, we're looking at what we call the mid luteal phase, um, and. Once again, this is where we should see progesterone at its highest. And so if it's not being produced in adequate amounts in that luteal phase, we will see that insufficiency reflected in in the pathology. Um, Now, once again, this brings into the, uh, I guess, into account that we need to have an idea of when we may be ovulating. Um, And so this is why understanding our ovulation is so important in our cycle. So and this is the other thing. A lot of the time we hear 21 day, uh, day 21 testing for progesterone. And as you and I know, Solon, that's just not always the case. No, if definitely. Not, like, especially yeah. for, let's just say our clients um, yeah. who have either a longer cycle or even I find yeah. especially our clients that have PCOS and might have yes. um, irregular cycles. They might not ovulate at the same time every cycle. Um mm-hmm. I would say it's the norm for if they're requesting a progesterone assessment via a GP. Sadly, even fertility clinics, I'm going to say, um, are referred just for a very generic standard um, day 21 progesterone test. And that would only be accurate if you ovulated on day 14, which is like, as far as the research goes, obviously around 10% of women. So very, very much the minority um and it means that uh the rest of us who don't ovulate on day 14 and are who are going in for that progesterone assessment are essentially getting inaccurate results um and that is just yeah really really important that way that we are getting that accurate result and so that's why i think temperature tracking is so important because um yeah the cervical mucus and fluid is is a great indicator that mm. our body is, um, you know, leading up to ovulation, but the temperatures is actually what confirms ovulation. So, 
you could be, your body, I guess, in theory, could be attempting to ovulate a couple of times a cycle, which would be, you know, if you've got a longer cycle and maybe you have PCOS, that's a factor for you. And so you might notice that you get multiple times in the cycle when you have that change in cervical fluid that looks like fertile fluid. Mm -hmm. And so you're wondering like, what's going on? Am I ovulating like five different times? But it's not necessarily the case. That's why temperature tracking, I think, is like our best friend, really. It's a pain in the butt for sure. (laughs) Um, And I think the other incredibly frustrating thing with um, trying to obtain accurate progesterone results is that like you can't just okay, cool. I'm going to go in tomorrow and get a test and see where my progesterone's at, right? Like we do really need to try and pinpoint it at least around roughly that sort of um, like within 24 hours or so of accuracy. Mm. Um, And it does often mean waiting a little bit of time, particularly if there isn't a regular or a long cycle or something like that. But yeah, key take home message, day 21, not a thing unless you ovulate on day 14, which is is definitely the minority. It is absolutely, Celine. And I think that's the thing we, it's kind of like we're where we need to sort of gather all of this information before testing, because at the end of the day, we want close to accurate. Yeah. As close as we can. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise we're then misinformed. Our, Our clients are misinformed in terms of what's actually happening in their menstrual cycle. So, um, yeah, so I think it's it's if we can be patient with that process before testing, gathering some information, getting to understand our menstrual cycle better, we're going to get much better results on, on the back of that. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing just with the serum blood testing is the I, I believe I could be wrong, but some of the more recent um, labs I looked at, and there is variation within Australia as to what we see considered normal, but they often accepting like over four or something like that as adequate amounts of progesterone um, as a mid-luteal test. And for reference for, you know, sort of viable, healthy pregnancy, what we're really looking for is over 40. So that is a huge amount of difference. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's just the other thing to take note of, I guess, if you are getting, say, signs and symptoms of, spotting or low progesterone but maybe you've been told and maybe you have gotten accurate tests and you've been told oh no your progesterone levels are fine um are they are they actually fine or are our reference ranges just awful (laughs) and as we've spoken about many times to learn from a pathology perspective reference ranges we could probably throw out the window yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so that's and that's it it's it's bringing to light okay well you might be considered normal based on that reference range but what actually deems um in terms of healthy progesterone Mm -hmm. production for pregnancy and to confirm that ovulation has actually occurred so um yeah i agree with that yeah, it's so important for the pregnancy side of things as well. Um, yeah. For sure. I think that's just a must to know that, um, especially more so, I guess, if, if there's been any issues with conceiving, for sure. Mm-hmm. So we've touched on this, but um, what are, other than spotting and um, and sort of, yeah, talk to us about, I guess, some of those signs and symptoms of low progesterone, like what are we looking for? Yeah, so so 
around our menstrual cycle, obviously the lack of ovulation is one. Um, irregular cycles is another, Celine. So that goes without saying, as we discussed, the low, uh, the short luteal phase, or if we, you know, don't have that regular menstrual cycle happening, progesterone deficiency could definitely be a factor. Um, heavy periods. So what we then call that unopposed estrogen. Um, so when estrogen is just you know, coming to the party in that luteal phase and progesterone is just not there. Heavy periods can be a sign of that. Um, headaches and migraines can definitely be a sign of low progesterone, fibroids, um, weight gain. So from a metabolic perspective, and this is where, you know, we'll talk about this, but progesterone goes beyond fertility and reproductive mm -hmm. health. You know, it's needed for things like our mood, our metabolism, our bone health really key factors as women for for our health overall so i think that's the other thing and I've, I've heard a few people speak about it from this perspective even if you aren't wanting to fall pregnant or pregnancy is not the goal for you healthy menstrual cycles healthy progesterone has to be a goal as well because it governs so many other areas of your health so and this is where you know weight issues metabolic issues is is key to look into from a progesterone perspective um because progesterone really can have an impact on thyroid hormones as well mm, and we so can apply connection there. that logic to perimenopause and menopause right where absolutely women come to us at that period of time and they're like, I'm gaining weight and I've changed nothing, nothing. about, mm -hmm. you know, my diet and lifestyle. And I just don't understand why I can't do the same things that I used to, to lose weight or to maintain weight. Um, and one of the things we know about certain stages of perimenopause is at some point we're getting declining levels of progesterone. So yeah, we can see those links and it doesn't necessarily mean that that's isolated to perimenopause, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right, Celine. So that's showing us the role that really progesterone is having um, on those areas too for women. So, you know, things like low libido, mm -hmm. um, you know, it goes without saying as well, like around ovulation, that's the time when essentially we should have quite a high libido. But if our hormones aren't imbalanced and we're not producing adequate amounts, that's going to not, you know. Uh, well, we're not ovulating. Either. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So um, mood, um, as I said, is a really big one. So any sort of anxiety, depression, those sorts of things, um, you know, there's such a connection between progesterone um, and really hopefully I'm touching on this correctly, but from a perspective of when we look at um, progesterone's role with GABA, so when we look at that really uh, calming neurotransmitter in the brain, um, there is such an interaction between progesterone and GABA. So if we aren't producing adequate amounts of that, we don't get those anti-anxiety effects and those calming effects of GABA for the nervous system. So that's always something I look at um, as well for women. So it goes without saying sleep issues, so insomnia, mm -hmm. those sorts of things could be also connected to that low progesterone. Which is totally what we see with um, perimenopause, right? Yes. A lot of mood changes, anxiety, not for every female, of course, but sort of as a generalization, that's a lot of what we see. And that's that classic mm -hmm. um, low progesterone picture. Um, yeah. Obviously, there are so many other things that cause or at the cause of low progesterone other than, of course, mm -hmm. just um, perimenopause. But what are some of those factors yeah, it's there. Are, there are so many things I would say, Celine. But I always go back up to as well when we can when we consider the production of these hormones in the body. Mm -hmm. And we've spoken about this before as 
the backbone to all hormonal production is cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is where, you know, I want to bring to light that cholesterol is it something for us to continue to demonize or suppress. We actually need healthy amounts of cholesterol. And that comes from a uh, well-balanced, healthy diet. Um, and so from this perspective, diet is so key to supporting mm-hmm. progesterone. And I say this because if we have chronic nutrient deficiencies or which we are probably seeing more and more, um, in the camp of women that are under eating and under nourishing, um, that leads to low progesterone because essentially the body in terms of um, prioritizing reproduction, fertility, those sorts of things is checking out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so obviously nutrition is a key factor. Um, the other thing I see is in terms of stress. Stress is probably one of the biggest factors mm. that's going to, <laughs> to affect progesterone production. Um, also to hormonal birth control. So as we know, um, whenever we go on to a lot of those contraceptives, that's going to suppress our natural progesterone production. That's going to lay dormant. So that's obviously going to be a factor as well. Hypothyroidism, that can be something that affects, as we discussed, the connection between thyroid and um, and progesterone. PCOS is another one. Um, medications. So I think there's even certain um, research to show things like pain medications, steroids, those sorts of things will throw out um, mm-hmm. progesterone production from the ovaries. Um, what else? Am I missing any of <laughs> No, they would be the main ones. Yeah, um, yeah. I think sickness as well, like yeah. um, basically any the other things that can cause, I guess, um, more of your kind of one-off or, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. inconsistent events of anovulation or low progesterone, I think it's like travelling, um, yeah. being out of routine, um, even outside of like chronic stress but like an acutely stressful event or, you know, being sick, um, they're all things that can either delay ovulation or um, interrupt ovulation. So you possibly may have a cycle or two where you don't ovulate um, and then off the back of that because we know that, we need to ovulate to produce progesterone, you're, of course, then going to have inadequate amounts, possibly just for a cycle or two. But I think that's always important to acknowledge as well that there might be, you might not necessarily have, I guess, um, issues with progesterone if it's just a one-off or anomaly kind of event as well. Um, And the other thing I think I just want to mention on the heavy period side of things, because... um, you know, it probably takes about three seconds to Google or go through Instagram or whatever to work out that, um, you know, heavy periods are often a progesterone deficiency symptom because I think um, it's like, yeah, quite quite commonly talked about. Um, but sometimes it's not. Like it's mm-hmm. not necessarily just low progesterone. Sometimes you can just have really high levels of estrogen, but your progesterone is actually fine. Um, exactly. And I find with a lot of our clients, um, a lot of them have done a fair bit of their own research and doctor Googling and things like that when they come to see us, which is amazing. Like I love to work with mm-hmm. clients that are super engaged in their health. Um, but I often get, you know, I have heavy periods. It must be my progesterone levels and the benefit of testing and not just kind of going, here's a symptom, let's 
you know, try and treat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mull it into this one possible explanation. It's like, great, well, let's work out when you ovulate. Let's get a progesterone test and actually work out if it is low progesterone levels, but maybe it's just that you have exceptionally high estrogen or you're not clearing that properly. Um, So, yeah, I guess that's my piece of take-home advice (laughs) i couldn't agree more selen and i will i will make a point on that as well because i have seen um clients previously that have maybe um self-prescribed or self-treated um certain things because they think they have a low uh, progesterone deficiency um and started taking certain supplements or or Mm. whatever and actually a not noticing improvements or benefits made it worse or actually made it worse do you think Um, vitex is a big one I, I didn't want to call it out, but I think we should. <laughs> yeah, Vitex or Chase Tree is a very, very commonly prescribed herb. And um, I guess the other like bee in my bonnet I have about that is it's in a lot of herbal combination supplements. So I won't call out any brand names, but there's a couple in particular that a lot of people take. Um, and they're in all of your like clean beauty shops and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and they have Vitex in it. And um, when you, I guess, you know, Dr. Google it or even look at some people's Instagrams, this particular herb is often talked about for its benefits in um, sort of regulating the HPA axis um, and supporting progesterone levels, but it does also increase estrogen levels. Um, And it also increases LH luteinizing hormones so it's essentially going to be contraindicated in probably all women with pcos exactly mm-hmm. um which a lot don't realize because they are then looking at these supplements that talk about regulating your periods and you know reducing your acne and the problem with this is is that if it's then increasing your lh it's actually probably going to make your periods worse and definitely going to make your acne worse like for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um yeah that's then increasing your androgens. So yeah, we just need to be really careful, I guess, about those herbs. And then in people with, I guess, those more um, estrogen-driven hormone pictures, that's also going to possibly make it worse. Um, And it can, other things it can help with is helping to lower prolactin levels, which, um, you know, definitely can cause like a lot of irregular cycles, heavy bleeding and that kind of thing. But we need to take that whole hormonal picture into consideration because there are, I've seen countless um, sort of pictures where there's high prolactin, high LH and Mm -hmm. high estrogen, right? So like, yes, it's going to help with the high prolactin and maybe the progesterone, but it's going to make those other two things so much worse. Exactly. And probably from a symptom um, picture perspective and what that client's experiencing, Selene, it's probably going to exacerbate those symptoms, yep. you know, and I've seen this classic too, and it's, you make, you know, such an important point around that. I've seen it even from a Dutch testing perspective mm-hmm. where women do have, whether they're PCOS or not, that androgenic pathway preference. So yep. the five alpha reductase. And so they've got that preference there. And so we know that if we are stimulating progesterone from that perspective and using herbs like Vitex, that 
we have to then potentially be prepared for what's going to happen on the back of that mm-hmm. by continuing to push that pathway if it's not supported. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the classic things I've seen, and maybe you have too, Selene, is um, women that start taking something like Vitex and their um, anxiety gets worse. Yes. Um, you yes, know, yes, from yes. a mood perspective, I've really seen that change. And I've seen acne get worse uh, 100%. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've got to be a little bit more, um, I think, you know, responsible around the use of certain things like that and I agree with you it we can't once again just use this band-aid of here's a hormone balancing supplement mm-hmm. um, and it's going to boost your progesterone here take it's it not that simple like I don't know how simple. we haven't worked that out yet yeah um but yeah I guess the problem is that these supplements are just available to kind of like the general public and they're not marketed in a way that's like you need to get testing and help. These are the specific conditions Mm -hmm. in which it can help with. These are the specific pathology, um, you know, sort of picture that we're looking for. It's kind of like across the board, this will make your mood better and your skin better and your hormones better. And it's just, um, yeah, it's really not that simple. The other example of this that we see, of course, is like the iodine thing um, being a real problem, which I think maybe we should allocate a whole episode to that because (laughs) it's just something we see like all the time. All the time. Um, And, yeah, I think um, that Vitex or Chase Tree is just really, really something to be careful with. The other one, which, again, maybe we should allocate, yeah, as I said, a whole episode to kind of issues with um, self-prescribing supplements, but I see um, a lot of um, self-prescribing of withania um, yes. often in people that still have are taking like thyroxine and we know that withania stimulates the thyroid and so we can end up like um, overstimulating our thyroid, making anxiety worse, getting heart palpitations, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are just, yeah, you're kind of general calming um, supplements that are going to, you know, make you feel amazing and sleep good and soothe your nervous system. And don't get me wrong, they have amazing benefits, but they need to be applied properly. Um, and I, I think the problem just has to be that we can't be self-prescribing these things. Like we need to understand that they have they have effects. And, um, and I guess from a company's perspective as well, they need to maybe take a bit more responsibility for the marketing. I think that is- I, I agree. Um, Mm-hmm. is probably the the big issue because it's it's not actually the consumer's fault sadly they don't, honestly just don't know um any better and mm-hmm. um yeah look if something sounds too good to be true it probably is, it probably is. <laughs> yeah i think that's the take home message isn't it Selene? um but also too i i i couldn't agree more the responsibility really does lie um with those those companies and yeah the thing in the nutrition uh, supplement space is that they're popping up more and more in terms yeah. of these formulations. Um, and so I think that's our role with our clients to educate our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think if we can do that, we can reduce the amount that people are self-prescribing and are then having unwanted um, side effects and reactions as a result. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, everyone is just wanting to support their health and feel mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. And it it's, it's, it's so difficult to go down a path of choosing a supplement or taking something and thinking this is going to help and actually feeling worse for it. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's where we end up in situations where then like natural health is being sort of demonized in, um, you know, the media. Um, The irony is of course that, you know, sort of a lot of conventional medicine practitioners will say that natural health doesn't work or, you know, vitamins and things don't work, but then we see that they can cause, 
you know, benefits, but also adverse reactions were not applied correctly. So, you know, of course they work. Um, But (laughs) yeah, I think, yeah, this is where we, we end up kind of getting a bad rap. Um, And obviously plenty of people have reactions to conventional medicines all the time and they don't make front pages, but um, yeah, it's just really understanding that these things have, um, do have effects within the body often beyond, I guess, what is on that marketing label. So things like Vitex, um, yes, maybe they do help to boost progesterone levels, but like I said, they do a whole bunch of other things. Um, and unless you're basically a practitioner and aware of how that's then impacting all of those other systems, you just need to be really careful about self-prescribing those things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So what do we, I mean, you talked obviously about some of those factors around low progesterone, um, but like, how do we start correcting it? What do <laughs> well, we do? That's, the, that's the million dollar question, Celine. <laughs> um, I think it, how we start to correct progesterone starts with understanding our menstrual cycle. Mm. So it's coming back to those foundations of going, okay, where am I at? Do I have a regular menstrual cycle? What are my symptoms throughout my cycle? Um, Am I tracking my body temperature? Let's start there. Do I get, um, you know, fertile mucus? Have I noticed that? So all of those sorts of things. So like we said, gathering that information is the most important aspect. Then from there, we can start to test and and start to understand. And obviously, you know, hopefully this will all be guided, you know, by a a practitioner supporting, supporting their clients. So from there, I would say, it really comes down to our foundations of health. And I know we probably sound like a broken record saying this, but if we can optimize our diet and nutritional adequacy and those key nutrients, if we can reduce our stress, because we know that stress has a direct impact on that production of of progesterone. Um, If we can manage our Uh, activity and exercise and those sorts of things so you know I have seen time and time again that over exercising high intensity exercising those sorts of things if that is uh, too much for a woman in terms of balancing those hormonal ratios progesterone is not going to come to the party there so it's really looking at diet lifestyle stress sleep all of those factors and going from there those key nutrients for progesterone uh, beyond as well looking at macronutrient balance. So we absolutely need, you know, protein, fats, carbs, fiber in our diet. We can't be deficient in one or the other or all. Um, So that's a really key point. Um, But also then, you know, I like to look at things like your zincs, your magnesiums, your B6s, um, you know, iodine can come into into play here. Once again, though, we absolutely have to be testing iodine to see where that fits for someone. Um, But really those sort of key minerals, key B vitamins, um, they're going to really support that that progesterone production. Yeah, definitely. And we see deficiencies all the time. Like I think I've maybe had um, to two clients probably ever that I've got blood work back from that didn't have a heap of nutrient deficiencies. Um, exactly. It's quite rare. Um, so, yeah, we do need to get that testing. And I like definitely we want to build those foundations first. Like we want to make sure first before we're looking at, um, you know, micronutrient adequacy and deficiencies, whether you're actually just like eating enough food. Are you eating enough food? Exactly. Are you eating the right proportions of macronutrients for your body are you um you know 
there's just no point giving you a heap of zinc or enough iodine if then you're drinking like three coffees a day or you're mm-hmm. doing like an F45 every single day. So yeah, we absolutely need to get those foundations in place and then basically layer on, which is obviously exactly what we do um, in our consultations. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So it's sort of, I, I like to look at it as a building process probably yeah. for progesterone. So I like making a, a layer cake. Exactly. <laughs> A healthy layer cake. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, is there anything else that we missed or anything you wanted to add? I think we've covered all of the, the key points and hopefully this has given women um, some ideas of those signs and symptoms to look out for. Um, but also too, I think, and this is probably going to lead us into another podcast episode, yeah. around self-prescribing. I think it's a yeah, really let's good one. Do it. Yeah, let's, let's dive into that. I think that was a really key component of today because progesterone is a hormone that gets a lot of, um, it does deserve the attention and things that it gets yeah. in terms of our, our reproductive health and our cycles and how we feel. Um, but we need to know how we can best support it. And that's on an individual basis. So how we support one woman's progesterone to another For sure. can be different and it's yeah. going to look individual. So yeah. yeah, you could get 10 different women with low progesterone and Vitex might only be <laughs> applicable for one out of 10 of them. Like it's not exactly. a one size fits all. We, it, it is very individual. It is. Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. Amazing. Well, looking forward to talking to you again soon. Me too, Celine. Can't wait. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.